Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. And that's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. But today's episode is a special one. It is actually a continuation of one that we did last week, and it's all about you. This episode is completely devoted to your emailed questions and comments and stories, because really, I just could never do this podcast without you, and I definitely enjoy when it's a great two-way conversation. And once again, reprising her role as you is my daughter, Lacey Cook. Hi, Lacey. Hi, it's good to be back again. Well, um, I got some emails. People enjoyed that you were reading their emails and and uh, representing them here on the show. So I'm, I'm glad to see that you came back. Not a problem. I enjoyed reading them and helping out. Good. And I, we had a lot of really interesting questions, some research questions last week. But um, I think you've pulled out of the, the box some different types of stuff. What kind of emails do we have this week? Well, this week I found you some quickie questions. They're just short questions and short comments that you can address quickly. And some of them are fun stories and some of them are just brief little anecdotes or something that they want to ask real quick. Cool. I can tell. My, my listeners like to have fun, too, because they know I do. So <laughs> that'll be great. And and actually, I'm really glad that we're getting this chance to do this episode together because you're actually going to be leaving home. You're abandoning me soon. Tell everybody where you're, that you're going away. Um, I am going away to college in the fall. I'm going to finish up for my bachelor's. Um, I am an anthropology major, so it's not that far off from genealogy. I've learned a lot about genetics and DNA, and it's a little bit more of the scientific aspect of it, but it's been great to have my mom as, as a, a genealogist because she's given me some of the, the foundation of understanding what what these uh, genetic traits are all about. Well, and not just me. You uh, actually recognized our buddy Tony Burroughs when we were at the Jamboree because he was in one of the films they were showing in your anthropology class, That's right? That's right. We watched a, um, a film called, I think it was called Black Roots. It was made by PBS. And Tony Burroughs, my mom had stopped and asked him about the interview she was going to do with him the next day. And he looked so familiar. I was like, <laughs> you... What shows, what what other things have you done? And he said he did PBS, and so it just clicked in my brain, and I was so excited that I had something uh, that connected to me at the conference. It was really interesting and great to meet him. Exactly. Well, I have already hidden a microphone in your suitcase. Okay. So <laughs> you take it, you plug it into that brand new laptop that you got. Will you maybe you could do some remote recording? Um, I'll do my best, but I think I'm going to be pretty busy with classes. All right. Well, today I'm going to keep you pretty busy with reading more emails, and we are going to get to the first batch right after this. All right, we're back, and we are back for the uh, the lightning round. Should we call it the lightning round, the quickie questions and comments? Uh, what have you got for us? Okay, the first one comes from Melanie Armstrong, and she writes, Is there a way to get iTunes to download all the podcasts instead of just the most recent ones? I thought I saw it on the website somewhere, but now I can't find it. Thanks. Absolutely, Melanie. Great question. Um, and really, iTunes will do that very easily for you. Um, under, if, if you pull up iTunes and look under library in the left-hand column, click podcasts. So you're in the podcasts area of iTunes. In the center screen, then you're going to find your genealogy gems 
um, subscription. It'll be a line there that says Genealogy Gems. Click the gray arrow that's pointing at the Genealogy Gems listing, which should then open up the entire listing. And of course, there's lots of different episodes, both for Genealogy Gems and Family History. So it's going to be quite long. And so now you can see all of the episodes and next to the title, whether it's Genealogy Gems or Family History Genealogy Made Easy, click the little gray Get All button. And now all the episodes are going to download. But I highly recommend you might want to do this before you go to bed at night. (laughs) Because if you just signed on and we have, gosh, this is 36 for Family History and we're around episode 67, I think, for Genealogy Gems. It could take a little while for it to download. So anyway, it will automatically do that and go through all of them. The other option is if you really didn't want all of them if you or you've already heard some of them, you can actually go through and manually click to get all of the particular episodes that you want. But get all is nice and easy, and then you can delete them later if you're already done with them. Good question. All right, the next question comes from Roland Butler in Michigan. He says, Lisa, I have a question about family group record sheets. I use the sheets that are from Family Tree Magazine. After they are transposed over to my computer, do you keep them so you can double-check them later? I know it winds up creating more paper, but I found sometimes I need to double-check. Ah, good question. Don't you love all the great forms they have over at the the Family Tree Magazine website is a great resource. Definitely want to check that out. Um, And they do have the forms. You know, I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, Roland, I decided to throw mine away, and I did that for a couple of reasons. You know, I had some from the old days where we literally only had printed pieces of paper and I had written some things down. And then some of the most more current ones where maybe I'd gone on a research trip and I'd filled some out. But in the end, I ended up transcribing everything into the database and throwing them away. Here are the reasons why. The data is now in my database and it's properly sourced. And that's key because a lot of times we don't have all that source citation on the actual family group sheets. Um, number two, looking at old group sheets actually can really confuse matters, and sometimes it can lead to a duplication of effort. And I can raise my hand, yes, I've done that, <laughs> where I was looking at an older sheet, I went and tracked something down, and then I found the newer sheet and realized, oh my gosh, I already did that. If you need to double check, well, this is my third item, if you need to double check your database info, then you're going to want to double check your actual sources rather than what you wrote down on the group sheet. You know, in some ways, the group sheet can kind of become a crutch. And really, if you have a question or there's a conflict with the data in your database, it's not the group sheet that is the the actual original source. You want to go to that source, the birth certificate, the death certificate, the interview that you did, whatever it was. And that's where you determine where that conflict comes from. So in many ways, hanging on to the old multiple sheets can actually confuse things a bit. Now, the only exception would be if the group sheet is actually part of a brick wall case file, as I call them, for a problem that I haven't solved yet. Then I would absolutely keep my group sheets that I've been working on, anything that has to do with that brick wall case that I'm working on, until the case is solved. And then all the answers go into the database. I file and keep and cite all of my sources that I collected. But the worksheets and things are now basically outdated and those get tossed. So I hope that helps out. And, you know, again, it might be a personal preference, but I really find that whatever it is you do, you just want to stick to it and make sure you're citing those sources. Those are the real answers to your problem. 
All right, the next question reads, Lisa, firstly, thank you for the information regarding the Bobby Dunbar podcast. I listened to it on my train trips and was completely fascinated with the story. You recently asked for listener questions. My question is, how do you know when records or indices are complete? I have been looking for immigration records for my family and cannot find them. They came in large family groups, so you'd think that it'd be easy to find them. Even though the name... It looks like it could be Maj, Mog, Moog. It's M-A-U-G-E is how she originally spells it. And she says it's often misspelled, and she gives some uh, suggestions of common misspellings. Like Mange, (laughs) Maga. She says, I cannot find them in Ellis Island, Steve Morse's website, the National Archives, or through my ancestry subscription. The years span 1880 through 1885. Are these immigration records complete, or am I looking in the wrong place? Thanks for your podcast, newsletter, and blog. I have certainly moved my research ahead quicker because of the things I have learned with your help. Sincerely yours, Anne-Marie, I think it's pronounced Aishin. There's definitely a family line of, of interesting spelling. <laughs> interesting surname. <laughs> I'm so sorry if I mispronounced any of it. I think that is close, though. Um, well, I have a couple of ideas for you. First of all... I don't think you ever really know when records are complete, and that is certainly the case for online records. Just a fraction of available records are online, of course, and certainly records get discovered or corrected, so you could check an index today and find nothing, and then someone down the road catches an error, corrects a surname, and if you were to search again, it might just pop right up. Um, There are so many factors involved here, but there are some very concrete avenues that you can pursue to try to find your ancestors' passenger lists. Now, first, you mentioned the National Archives, and I don't know specifically what route that you went to check their records, but I do know that the Family History Library has microfilm of the Baltimore passenger list between 1920 and 1897, and it lists the main author as the U.S. Department of the Treasury Bureau of Customs. Passengers are indexed by Soundex, and the Soundex code for MAUG, M-A-U-G-E, however you pronounce that, would be M200. But considering the variations that you have found of the name, you're going to want to arm yourself with the Soundex codes for all the different variations. The M200 names are on film number 417302, which I found in the Family History Library catalog online at FamilySearch.org. And you can just go to your closest Family History Center and order the film for less than $10, and they will send it to you, and you can view it right there at the center. Another option is to check the Immigrant Ships Transcribers Guild at ImmigrantShips.net. And I also found a great summary of Baltimore passenger lists by Joe Bine online. It's at genesearch, G-E-N-E, search.com, slash Baltimore, slash quickguide.html. And of course, I'll have that for you in the show notes. And there, you're going to find several good leads that you can follow, including some books and some CD-ROMs. You'll also find an index of Baltimore passenger lists between 1820 and 1897 at the Allen County Public Library in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and you can check with them through their website. Because there's always a chance of human error in transcription, you might get lucky with a microfilm when you couldn't find that same information, say, on the Ancestry Index online. 
Now, normally I would recommend that you do also some kind of a search at the point of departure for the passenger list, which in this case was Bremen, Germany. But I did some checking and it looks like, unfortunately, all the lists from 1875 to 1908, uh, older than three years, were destroyed due to lack of space at the Bremen archives. So not good news there. And even though you sent me some specifics about the family, you didn't say how you determined that the family indeed had come through Baltimore rather than, say, New York. So I would recommend looking really closely at your source for that information and and seeing if you can't locate any other verification of the fact that they did indeed come through Baltimore. And finally, I want to recommend a great book for you since your ancestors are in Chicago. It's called Finding Your Chicago Ancestors. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. It's a beginner's guide to family history in the city and Cook County by Grace Dumel. Um, I have a copy of it here. There is some great information, and I would say it's even more than a beginner's guide because it's so in-depth. And she has a whole chapter on passenger lists for folks who came to the city of Chicago. So hopefully that will help you out. All right, we're back, and we are going to uh, end on a fun note. These are these are just kind of the fun and quirky, interesting emails and comments I got. What have we got, Lacey? All right, the first one says, I have been listening to all of your podcasts since last fall. I haven't made it through all of them, but I'm enjoying the education. I recently returned from Ireland. Oh, I'm jealous. I know. <laughs> Lacey wants to, to go to school in Ireland, don't you? I do. Where I was able to stand on the dock of... Uh, Cobb, Queenstown, I think that's how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. where my relatives would have left for America. It gave me chills, as it would me, I can tell you right now. Yeah. Well, you have your ancestors, what, County Cork and County Clare. I wanted to share the results of my Google alerts. My father has red hair and was called red most of his life. No, wait a minute. She said Google alerts. I want to make, okay, well, I just want to make okay. sure that it's nice and clear. Um, she did Google alerts, which we talked about Actually, it was one of the very first things I ever covered on the Genealogy Gems podcast. And I talk about it a lot in my classes. So, okay, she's got results of my Google alerts. She says, when I ask for red browning in my alerts, I have received information on red browning sweater, the browning clothing line, (laughs) a red browning rifle case, they make guns, and recently in the Cincinnati Reds, Tom Browning went to jail. (laughs) The Reds browning. Alas, nothing yet on my dad. Another family name is Gory. You can imagine what I got last Halloween. I do love the alerts, though. I have added eBay alerts, too, thanks to you. Keep encouraging us, and thanks for the great tips. Joan Ketterman. (laughs) Joan, I love this. Now, your Google alerts, Joan, remind me of two folks I actually met uh, and talked to recently at the Genealogy Jamboree about alerts. One of them, her surname was Warn. W-A-R-N. And we we stood there between classes trying to think of how could you construct a Google alert so that you don't get warning. She said, I would get a lot of emergency emails and all kinds of places. So anyway, that was a challenging one. The other surname that I ran into at the Jamboree, her last name was Coffin. 
Uh, and that was Amy Coffin of the WeTree.com blog. She was so nice. I, I talked to her at dinner. I was sitting across from her, and she was a lot of fun. Oh, she's an absolute sweetheart. She's the one who gave me my little uh, rock star ribbon. And uh, anyway, maybe you and Amy Coffin should get together. Can you imagine the, what you would get in your results for Coffin and Gory? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can help you with that, but I'm really glad that you're using Google Alerts. Then you'll just kind of have to play with the plus and minus sign in your Google uh, advanced search, but uh, should make for interesting stuff. And I'm really glad that you're using eBay Alerts, which they actually call favorite searches. Again, if you haven't done eBay Alerts, you're missing something. So follow up on Joan's advice and do that as well. Thanks so much for writing, Joan. All right. The next one says... Dear Lisa, it's me again, that pesky podcaster from Florida. (laughs) I told you in my last email I had caught up on Genealogy Gems, and now I've caught up with all of your Genealogy Made Easy podcasts. You must be exhausted. (laughs) I listened to one tonight when the lady you interviewed suggested researching books.google.com. I am looking forward to checking that out very soon. I think that was Arlene Eagle who was talking about that. Yeah, books.google.com. Great resource. She says, I have a gem for you. I have a link where the LDS Church has archived loads of family history books. Follow the link and type in the surname of your choice. I have found some wonderful stories there about my ancestors. Here's the link. And it's familyhistoryarchive.byu.edu. And she says, here's a sample of a neat story. Penelope Stout is one of Mom's relatives on Vicky's side. She is a direct line, our ninth great-grandmother. Our ninth great-grandmother and her first husband were shipwrecked coming from England, but made it to shore. He was too severely injured to travel, and the others went ahead to New Amsterdam and left him there. Penel- oh, gosh. Penelope is her name. They were attacked by Indians, the husband killed, she was scalped, and her shoulders left so badly injured that she had little use of that arm, and her abdomen cut open until it was necessary to use her hand to retain her intestines. Oh, my word. Wow, what a fighter. Yeah. She found refuge in a hollow log or tree and nursed her injuries for several days. Soon she reasoned that it would be better to be killed outright than die such a slow death. So when she saw a deer run by with an arrow sticking in its side, she decided to crawl out from her hiding place, expecting execution. Two or three Indians rushed up on her to tomahawk her, but one of the Indians, a chief, seeing her condition, halted them, and taking pity on her, he carried her to his village. They sewed her up with a fishbone needle and vegetable fiber, and she recovered. That's amazing. When the people of New Amsterdam, hearing that she was a white woman in an Indian village, investigated, negotiated with the Indians, and ransomed Penelope. She was grateful to the old Indian chief who saved her life. Calling him her Indian father, she not only crossed from Long Island by boat to visit him at frequent intervals, she reared ten children under the most primitive surroundings and circumstances. She lived to the age of 110. Now that's some good genes. (laughs) (laughs) You must check out that link, Family History Archive. Maybe it will bring down some of your brick walls. And actually, I did check it out, and it's well worth looking at. I will have the link for you on the show notes. Fantastic resource for books. And she has a couple questions for you. Oh, okay. She says, which tip was about the Freedom of Information Act and gave tips on how to access military records? I'd like to get my dad's World War II records. He was in the Navy. I think it was on Gen Gems. And this is just something that bugs me. Which is the correct pronunciation of genealogy? 
geneology or genealogy. I hear it both ways. My anal side needs to know. <laughs> That's it for now. I'll try not to pester you for a while. Thanks again for all you do. I really appreciate your help. Sincerely, Susan. West Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, Susan, you know, I already always love to hear from you. And it's an amazing story that Susan had. I'm assuming that must have come from one of these family history books that she pulled up at the byu.edu website, Family History Archive. Um, let me see. You were asking about the Freedom of Information Act. Um, listen to Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 20. You can go to genealogygems.tv. Click podcast in the menu on the left hand menu navigation bar and then just navigate your way to episode number 20. I'll also have a link taking you directly to that episode show notes in the show notes for this episode so that you can get there really easily. And I also covered the Freedom of Information Act in my book. And I believe we did a follow up in episode 21 as well. And I have to say, first, before I, I answer the question, the other question, she always has this wonderful little quote at the end of her emails, and it says, do or do not, there is no try. I can't, can you say it as Yoda? It's Yoda, the Jedi master. Come on, Lacey, do your best, Yoda. Do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> it's so true, though. Is that not my motto in raising you guys? It absolutely is. And I am a huge <laughs> Star Wars fan. So anytime anyone interjects something like that, the nerd in me just jumps for joy and claps and is so excited. Well, and it's a good point. Do or do not do it, but don't talk about trying to do it. Okay. Genealogy. You know what? I noticed the difference in the pronunciation of the word genealogy when I went to my first Family History Expo. I believe it was in St. George, Utah, about two years ago. Now, I always say genealogy. And everybody there was saying genealogy. And I was freaking out, thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe I've had this wrong all these years. Or they think I sound like, you know, some kind of hick. I don't know what I'm talking about. So anyway, I, I have actually, you've probably noticed this, folks, on the show. I have bounced back and forth a little bit, uh, trying to straddle both sides of the genealogy, genealogy saddle. But actually, when I got Susan's question, I went to dictionary.com. Gotta love it, dictionary.com. They actually have the pronunciation, but they even have a little, like a little tiny podcast. It's a little audio. play arrow on audio. It's an audio blurb that will pronounce the word for you. It does. It pronounces the word for you. And the word is pronounced. Drum roll, please. Genealogy. It's genealogy. Now, wait, don't email me. I know you're going to, all of you genealogists out there are going to start emailing me. No. It, it, I'm just telling you what dictionary.com says. It's genealogy. They spell it out that way. The little audio voice says genealogy. <laughs> and um, I feel better because that comes more naturally to me. But I have a feeling no matter how you say it, it's still a barrel of fun and you're not going to give it up anytime soon. So I think that's a great question to end with. And uh, it certainly will solve I'm sure most of the world's problems. Okay, but you seem to be forgetting there is actually one more question. Oh, too oh my eager. gosh. <laughs> and, and this one is even more critical than how to pronounce genealogy, isn't I it? I think it is. Okay. All right, what is it? I'll see if I can do it. Well, the big question that is burning on everyone's mind, what about the music? I know that's all I think about. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's because when I got my iPod, Lacey didn't even know that there were podcasts 
in iTunes because it's all about the music, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. Music is a creative expression without actually having to be musically inclined enough to write it. <laughs> well, longtime listener Melissa Robert, and she's also a premium member, she wrote in and she has a question about the music, right? She says, Dear Lisa, hello, I just finished listening to the June Family Tree Magazine podcast. I have been wanting to write to you for months now to ask you this question. Why'd you wait so long? <laughs> <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> That's Lacey's question. Her question to you is, who is the musician that is playing the guitar music during the podcast? My husband is a big Chet Atkins fan, and I thought it would be Chet, but my husband says no just from listening to it. Can you please provide me with the musician's name? Uh, well, as you know, I host the Family Tree Magazine podcast, and their music is actually similar in tone, I think, to the music that I selected here for the Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast. And uh, I, I suppose you could say with either one of these shows, the theme music, you, you could suspect that Chet Atkins, who I was one of my musical heroes, he's amazing, wonderful guitar picker. He's a picker, not a uh, strummer. Is that what you call it? Anyway, I'm a big Chet Atkins fan, too. And that's probably why I was drawn to the music. And I know Alice and Stacey over at Family Tree Magazine probably feels the same way. But the music is actually from um, a Podsafe music site. And they don't actually list the musicians. But I can promise you, I am sure that it is not Chet Atkins. Um, but I think it is meant to sound very much like Chet. Chet's music, I think, would be much, much more expensive than um, the music that we use for the rights to play it. Actually, in podcasting, music is quite a behind the times. Radio stations have an easy time of getting access to it and paying small fees, but they haven't let us podcasters into that field yet. So anyway, we choose from Podsafe kind of royalty-free music or new um, musicians who offer up their music for to get some exposure on podcasts. So I hate to tell you this, Melissa, you probably owe your hubby some money. If, if there was a bet involved, I'm guessing there might have been, you know, definitely a sound alike, but not the real McCoy. You know, I love bringing these genealogical gems to you that help boost your research and build a strong family tree. And it's important to me to always have free podcasts available so that everyone can participate. If you enjoy these free shows and you would like to help me cover the costs of bringing them to you each week, there's a really easy way to do that that won't cost you a thing. By coming to my website at genealogygems.tv whenever you need to do some shopping online and accessing your favorite stores and websites through the links that you find on my site, you financially support the show. The price you pay is exactly the same, but Genealogy Gems receives a small percentage for referring you. It's just that simple. Amazon is one of my all-time favorite places to shop online. They have just about everything and at incredibly competitive prices. So next time you're looking for books, DVDs, software, electronics, apparel, pretty much anything at all, head to genealogygems.tv and click the Amazon ad that you find on the homepage or throughout the website. And these free podcasts will benefit by any shopping that you do and you will get the same super low prices. Everybody wins. So if you enjoyed the Genealogy Gems podcast and the Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast, let your mouse do the shopping through the ads and links on the Genealogy Gems website, and together we'll keep new episodes coming for a long time to come. 
oh, I'm going to miss that kid. <laughs> Isn't Lacey wonderful? And she's heading off to college, and I couldn't be more proud, but I will miss having her around the house on a daily basis. But thank goodness for the internet and chat and webcams and phones and everything else. We will be in touch, and we will definitely have her back on the show. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.